This is Leaders Lens, the show that reveals what it really takes to become a great leader. I'm Jacob Espinoza, a Fortune 500 leadership consultant and director of creator success at Workweek. Let's go. I think so much of it also comes down to people fear confrontation or they fear conflict. And instead of having an open, honest dialogue initially, or instead of, you know, resetting the standard or like you said, holding someone accountable to it, it actually becomes progressively worse because no one's communicating. People are afraid of conflict. People are afraid of confrontation. And now in turn, like you said, the team ends up suffering. We are back at the Leaders Lens podcast. I'm here with Phil Beckner, who is nationally known for his work as a high-performance consultant with elite athletes, such as Damian Lillard. And I'm from Oregon, a huge Blazer fan. So that's a big deal, you know, just having that guy on your resume. But also player development, coaching resources, divine to impact people, impact performance, just help people get better, which is just an, an awesome passion that you have and just getting incredible results as well. So, so Phil, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. I know we've been looking to do this for a while. I'm a big fan of yours. Everything you post on social media, it's made me better. It's made my business better and the guys I work with better, not only the players, but some of the employees I have as well. So grateful to get to connect and share some ideas today. I love that, man. That means a lot coming from you. So thank you. And the theme for this quarter, conflict resolution. And in the sports world, in the business world, anytime you're working on a team, like conflict is going to be part of that experience. What do you see generally leading to conflict when you're working with teams? That's a really good question because unfortunately, whether you're dealing with a sports team or a business team, conflict comes up all the time. And so, you know, when you ask, where does it come from? It comes from a lot of different places. I'd be interested to hear your answer as well. The number one thing I see conflict coming from is when there is an expectation or a standard set, like maybe the leader or the team or the corporation has a standard set or an expectation set, and other people are A, not fulfilling that standard or not getting to that standard, or two, they just don't believe in it. They're not trying to fulfill those same type of things. They have their own vision or own expectation, but I think so much of it comes from there's a standard or expectation set. It's not being fulfilled, or it's not trying to be reached. And because of that, conflict turn, you know, comes into place. Yes, I think kind of building on that, like there is this expectation set. Somebody doesn't follow it and the leader doesn't hold anybody accountable. So now the entire team, they lose trust with the leader because they question whether or not they're able to do the job. But it also creates conflict within the team because now you have different people that feel like they're doing all the work. You have other people that aren't but everybody's getting treated equally. And that's a challenging dynamic. And I see that breaking trust on a lot of teams and creating conflict. And people feel like they don't know where to take it because they, they lose trust with the leader in those situations. I agree. And I think exactly what you just described, it's like the age old problem. Someone isn't doing their job. Someone else has to try to cut, you know, pick up the slack or, you know, cut into their own hours of their responsibility. And in turn, it could, it could create one thing I share with all my athletes and even some of the top business leaders I work with, the Two things we really got to stay away from is a level of bitterness and a level of animosity because those things start to fester in you and they don't go away easily. It's not a switch you could flip and, you know, just get rid of bitterness or just get rid of animosity. And again, I think so much of it also comes down to people fear confrontation or they fear conflict. And instead of having an open, honest dialogue initially or instead of, you know, resetting the standard or like you said, holding someone accountable to it. 
it actually becomes progressively worse because no one's communicating. People are afraid of conflict. People are afraid of the confrontation. And now in turn, like you said, the team ends up suffering. It's not just the underperforming individual. The team ends up suffering in the long run. I have this theory that we have a lot more passive people in the Northwest because when you're in Oregon or Washington, like you can just like go away and get away from people other than like a few like different situations in bigger cities that we have, but you can just like get away. And I think that if you live in a bigger city or on the East Coast, like things are so condensed, you don't really have that option. So you kind of have to face conflict when it's there. But in Oregon, in my experience, we have a lot more passive people. Like when something happens, they'll just sweep it under the rug, never say anything about it, not really let people know how they feel. And I think that's a worse problem than having people that are too aggressive with conflict because then you at least know where people stand. And if you're an effective leader and you care, you can take steps to correct it. But when you have a group of really passive people, it's challenging sometimes to understand where people are at, which makes it difficult to understand what you can do to help help the situation be better. Absolutely. I can't just speak completely on the Northwest. I've lived everywhere. I do agree. You know, the last two years I've spent more time on the East Coast. It definitely does seem a lot more fast paced, high energy, say how you feel, move on, honk the horn. If you wait two seconds for a red light, honk the horn and, you know, and get going. I think on a deeper level, and, you know, I'm sure this is stuff you've looked into and it's, you know, things again I've used with top leaders or athletes I work with, but just studying human performance and how humans feel. Again, most people fear conflict or feel fear confrontation, but we need to look at, you know, kind of their DNA sometimes or how they were brought up, maybe, you know, how their family functioned, maybe the type of coaching or teaching they experienced throughout their career. And I'm not just saying in sports, you know, whether that's college professors, high school teachers. And ultimately, when you look at a human being, whether you're from the Northwest or the East Coast, I think the one thing of why people want to sweep stuff under the rug and why it turns into a bigger problem and a worse problem is because ultimately everyone wants to be comfortable and everyone wants to be liked. So if every day we want to be comfortable and we want to be liked, it becomes way easier to not say something when the standard isn't being reached. It becomes way easier to not say something and confront that employee you got to work with, you know, 40 hours a week. And there's so many times, I use the example all the time, especially with sports guys, like especially with athletes who have to get out and compete and do things that are uncomfortable. As humans, whenever we walk in the house and it is hot, what do we do? We turn down the air conditioning. We have a dial. We don't want to be too hot. We don't want to be too cold. Some people like hot showers. Some people like cold showers. We want to be comfortable. And because of wanting to be comfortable or because of wanting to be liked, like you said, we sweep that stuff under the rug or employees do or athletes do. Then it turns into a bigger problem. And I think you'll like this a lot. When I worked for the Oklahoma City Thunder, we actually studied different forms of communication and different forms of communication that can and cannot build resiliency. And three of them that stuck with me, and I don't know if you want to dive into all three, yes. but one was a shotgun effect. So when you throw something up, there's a million comments, a million evaluations, a million criticism. It just goes all over the place. And then the individual taking it as well their mind goes all over the place, a hundred different ways. Well, do they not like me? Do they like me? Did I do this good? Do I? Am I going to get just all these different, you know, all over the place? So they had the shotgun effect. The next one, the one I struggle with the most is the downward spiral. I thought it was really, really good. It's when you get that first comment that might be, you know, a little bit critical 
or the first comment that might be leading into some confrontation. And then before you even have any more communication, you just go in a spiral of, well, this is going to happen. Then this is going to happen. Then this is going to happen. You're playing out all of these false arguments, false narratives in your head. And by the time you maybe step into the meeting with that individual, you're doomsday, you know, 0 30 o'clock and it, it's all over. And so there's a downward spiral effect. But then the last one, and I think this is what you are hitting on. And again, it comes from people wanting to be comfortable and wanting to be liked is the iceberg effect. You sit there and you see the tip of the iceberg in the water and it just floats along, floats along, but there's all this stuff brewing underneath. And we all know that's not a safe thing and it's not a good thing and it's not a healthy thing. And I think the majority of our society, whether it's Northwest or East Coast, that, that we got a whole bunch of iceberg effect type people out there, or they'll just show a little bit of frustration or a little bit of communication, but underneath you got everything you could imagine, you know, brewing and building, which isn't going to come out in a good way. I love those analogies. And I've seen it play out where you have two people that are doing their own spirals, but they never come together and talk about it. And they both end up like in these just their perspective of what's happening is so far removed from reality. But if they would just come together, and like, let's just talk about it. Like that fixes so, so many different issues. And something you talked about earlier was just seeing people deeply. And trying to understand like where people are coming from, understanding why people do the things that they do, because a lot of times it is just context, right? Somebody yeah. was brought up a certain way or they had a certain life experience, but they're experiencing the same situation in such a different way. But if we take time to understand their motivations, things generally make a lot more sense than they, they do originally. Yeah, that's really, really good. One thing I've done not only understanding their motivations, you know, and, and understanding maybe how they're wired, you know, their personality types, because everyone is wired differently, you know, genetically, mentally, what, whatever. But one of my mentors, great guy, Rod Olson, another kind of high performance coach, coach of coaches, he would challenge me when I was coaching division one basketball, because sometimes I would have run-ins with the staff or run-ins with other people in the athletic department. And I didn't understand why they were responding or reacting the way they were. And I think that's really, really important for us as leaders to look at, or even us as employees or people who have to work with people. There's a big difference between responding and reacting. And in order to understand why they do that, Rod gave a great phrase. He goes, Phil, most people are the way they are because of two things, torture and triumph. And I thought that was so good. Like if you could have a level of empathy or sympathy for the torture we have all gone through in life for each other. You never know someone's upbringing. You never know someone, the obstacles they've had to overcome, how hard they had to fight to get that job, how hard they had to fight to come back from an injury if you're in athletics. But the level of torture we've all, you know, have experienced, it shows a lot of how, of why someone will respond or react the way they do. And then the same thing, which we all know the other part of conflict, it's not just people being quiet, but in confrontation, but it's the people who are loud, the people who are arrogant, the people who are lacking humility. So torture and triumph, maybe they have had a lot of triumph in their life. They've done a lot of successful things and they think everything needs to be their way, how they see it, according to their vision and according to their standards. And we know, obviously, both of those aren't going to work. But I think when we can look at someone through the lens of empathy, through the lens of understanding with like, hey, they've either been through a lot of torture 
or a lot of triumph. And that's why this stuff is coming. We're going to be able to relate to them better. And then we're also going to be able to communicate with them better. I'm curious when you're working with teams, sports teams versus business teams, like are the conflicts pretty similar? Are the conversations you have experienced similar or are you, do you see differences? You know what? I think a lot of the conflicts are the same. Like I said, a lot of it goes back to trying to reach a standard or a goal. I think the second thing that comes up, the most common one you see is an underperforming player or underperforming employee. So not just not reaching or striving or getting a job done, but just the guy who doesn't execute his role or the individual who's not completely bought in or the individual who doesn't respect others. It's either, you know, kind of a group problem going towards the standards or an individual problem. So you see a lot of those. The one thing I've noticed, and I think this is why there's such a crossover now between athletics and business people is because how it's handled is completely different in both realms. There is so like conflicts are the same, but how they go about fixing it and how they go about fixing the confrontation is not the same. Um, in sports, a coach will shout at somebody. In sports, they'll have a team meeting right in front of everybody. I think so much of it, and I use this term and I fear this in the sports world, but like so much of it becomes a corporate standard or a corporate way of doing anything. Like, hey, this guy's underperforming. Well, let's go to the checklist. Like, Jacob, here's check number one. Are you doing this? All right, we'll meet again. Here's check number two on week two. Like, sometimes I think you got to say, screw that, rip up the paper, move on and meet with another person face to face, come up with a plan to get them better, hold them accountable to it. Don't fear confrontation. And then start seeing how the results go after that. Because in sports, I do think this happened. And sorry if I'm rambling. I'm not rambling, but going on. I'm here for it. That's what a podcast is all about, man. I love it. Here's what I think that happens. And this is something really, really cool. Business is lacking things that sports are that could really, really help them. And I think that's why like some of these businesses have brought me out to work with them on communication and leadership and competitiveness and urgency and accountability. Think about this though. In sports, you are getting coached every day. In business, you are not getting coached every day. And sometimes you're being led or sometimes there's a manager. You're not getting coached. In sports, they're literally telling you something to do or something to do better or continue to do this great every day. So one, I think business people are lacking being coached or having a life coach, a development coach, whoever with their organization. The second thing I think that happens in businesses, happens in sports way more than business, way quicker evaluations, which equals way quicker accountability. Think about it. Like you said, we're starting this podcast off. You're like, this quarter, we are focusing on this. You play like Damian Lillard. He gets evaluated three nights a week playing games, sometimes four. Yeah. And then in the off season, he's evaluated on like what he's doing with his personal life, right? Like it's always like eyeballs, but yeah. Absolutely. I worked with Oregon football a couple years ago. Same thing, communication, mindset, Mario Cristobal, and I would talk once a week. Mario Cristobal and his team is getting evaluated weekly on how they're performing. And I think that doesn't happen all the time in the business world. On the flip side, and this is where I love your content on Twitter, and you share some great stuff that has made me and my guys better. But on the flip side, what sports is lacking the two things that business is great, one clarity, there is a goal set, 
right? There's a process. Sometimes, get... sometimes they have the clarity. The people who are succeeding at least, right? Yeah, you, yeah. you would say that. So there's a goal set. There's a process in place to go about it. And there's identifiers in there if you're doing a good job. And there's places, are there things put in place if it, if it goes astray? So one, clarity. And then two, like I said, I think that, that what sports is lacking is more of an overall organizational plan for their employees. Like, yeah, the sports says we want to do this for our team. We want to do this for our players. But so much of staff development and plans for the employees is lacking a ton, whether it's college football, college basketball, some of these different places I've got. There's not a plan to develop the staff or develop the employees. I love that you say that. So I coach a fifth, it'll be a fifth grade. It's my son. So it'll be a fifth grade basketball team this year. I coached his team last year. And something I thought about in the off scene is like, we should have done development plans for every player. Oh yeah. Like make sure there's clarity with like the players and the parents. And like, here's what we want you to help your son get better at this season. And so I'm glad to hear you say that because I'm definitely uh, completely aligned with with that sort of a perspective. Jacob, we, we talk about this all the time. The You know, I, I coached college basketball for 10 years before going into my own venture the last five years. And we always say high clarity equals high performance. So many leaders, so many employees, so many athletes, and I don't care if they're fifth graders, they are lacking clarity. And if you want people to perform at a high level, the expectation the plan, the direction you're heading has to be clear. It has to be super clear. So whenever we work with a player, what we create is a cheat sheet, not just a plan. Like They're going to have a cheat sheet of who they're trying to become, how they're trying to get there, what they need to work on. And then same thing, we've taken that in the sports world. We give it to some of these top business leaders. They love it. Why? Because everyone wants to, I think deep down, most people want to be coached. Most people want to be poured into and most people want to grow. So if we're not giving them the clarity to do that, it's going to make their job harder. I used to be surprised when I work with a leader and they would give me the rundown on their team, like where they're struggling. And I would ask, like, have you, when did you give them this feedback? And like 80% of the time they're like, well, I haven't yet. And it's like, well, how do you expect them to get better if we're not taking the initiative to have those direct conversations with them? Because to your point, most people want to get better. They want to understand what doing a good job looks like. They want to be recognized when they are doing a good job. And if we're not setting clear expectations, we can't follow up and then recognize them for doing a good job. Like our job when we're setting expectations and giving feedback is to be able to follow up and say, hey, you did a great job. Like, let's keep growing and creating those development cycles where they understand like doing a good job here means you're going to get recognized, which encourages continued development. Why do you think most leaders don't do that, in your opinion, and, and, and the people you work with? I think it's fear. Like part of it, just fear of conflict, like not knowing how to have that conversation. I think especially right now being concerned, people are going to quit if they give them feedback. So I think there definitely is that fear factor for a lot of businesses that are struggling to find employees. If I'm critical of this person, are they going to then leave and have a gap? I'd rather have this person that's doing a half good job as opposed to having nobody in the spot. So I think there's a lot of, and I think it all boils down to just them not knowing how to have that conversation effectively because a lot of businesses start with somebody who just had an idea. Like I was a plumber, so now I started a plumbing business. But as a business grows, now you have to bring people on and nobody ever showed this person how to lead effectively. So now they have managers that also don't know how to lead effectively and it kind of becomes a spiral. Yeah, I agree. 
the one thing I'd piggyback off that that I had to do, and granted, I don't I, obviously I didn't fear conflict as much coming from the sports world. <laughs> and, you know, if you know my personality and some of my history, and you know, pushing guys hard. But I think the other thing that I struggle with now as a business owner myself, you know, leading the business, was that you have to be so dang intentional to get it done. Like if it's not on your calendar, if it's not planned. Like you got to know, hey, every month we are doing this, not just like, oh, now I feel like doing it. And that was something I did as a coach because you're always with those guys. But as a business leader, you got to have those schedule points, I mean, just dialed in and say like, hey, we're meeting, like you said, whether it's quarterly, monthly, whatever it is. And I think too many people, Sam Presti said this, great leader, you know, GM of the Oklahoma City Thunder. I love this. It was so good. And it applies to sports and business. But he said, flying by the seat of your pants usually precedes crashing by the seat of your pants. Oh, that's great. I love that. And and I think that's what happens with this communication. Like you said, so many people don't do it and fear it and, you know, can't provide the clarity everyone wants. And like the, the big word we've been with player development, with NBA players, you know, and again, working with some of the best freaking, you know, in the country, but like being intentional as a coach and being intentional as a leader and intentional with our employees, the that word intentional and, and taking an intentional promote an approach has provided so much great results for us. I want to transition away from the, uh, the conflict resolution piece. And I see a lot of people struggle when they hire people that are smarter than them. So which is what you should do as a leader, right? Hire people that are, are better than you. And I think there's a, a comparison with you as a basketball trainer and you're training like the best basketball players in the world. I would imagine like you don't think you're better than Dame. You don't think you're better than Anthony Simons, but you understand you're still able to help and support them. I'm curious how, if you ever felt imposter syndrome, like how you work through that or just what is your approach when you're working with people that are just the best at what they do? We could go so many different ways with that. I'll start off with kind of how you ended the question. When you say when you're working with someone who's better than you. Like those guys, I played small college basketball. I was never an NBA player. I think, let's just say, start from here across the board. Self-belief is a real deal. It is for me. It is for you. It's something that's not talked about enough, in my opinion. It's something that's not worked on enough, in my opinion. One thing I work with teams, individuals, and corporations on I have a four-point speaking, like speaking subject. It's called the guardrails. And there are four guardrails we all need set up in our life to keep us from falling off or to keep us from getting off track. And the fourth guardrail is the guardrail of self-belief. If you don't have a guardrail of self-belief set up in your life, it's going to be hard to stay on track. It's going to be hard to keep going on that track, even if you are on the right track. Like that, and, and so... Self-belief is honestly something I've struggled with. And people see me and meet me and, oh, you're a great speaker and you're great at getting people better and you're always so confident and you have a great presence. I get compliments on that, but I still struggle with self-belief. And again, I think it's something that needs to be talked about more and worked on more. Here's what it comes down to, though. So you said, what do you do when you struggle with imposter syndrome or when you're working with the best or someone who's better than you? And I've literally worked with individuals one-on-one with this stuff. And the only way reason I was able to do it, Jacob, was because I worked on it one-on-one myself. And if me and you did this, it would be fun as heck. But let's come up with a list of who we are, knowing absolutely who we are and who we are not. 
whether you want to call yourself a leader, an employee, a basketball player, you got to know who you are and you got to know who you are not. To me, that's a big kryptonite for imposter syndrome. And here's the problem, though, as we're young or as we take on new ventures in life or as we're learning and growing and stepping into new arenas and new offices and, and, and new situations, we don't always know who we are. So I tell my guys and I tell my employees, you better be damn sure of who you're not. Like, man, I'm not arrogant. I'm not lazy. Man, I'm not comfortable. I'm not artificial in how I show up and do things. Whatever those may be, I think it's so, if you're going to have a great, and we say it, we define it this way, like you need to have an unwavering, relentless level of self-belief. And that's what makes Dame so special. He could speak to corporations. Oh my God, he's the best. His level of self-belief is unreal. And what I've found from working with him and other people who are on that level like he is, he knows who he is and he knows who he isn't. So working through it, just understand the value that you bring. What are tools that you use to help that? So when you're asking somebody like who you are, who you're not, for people that struggle with that question, how do you coach them through that? Man, so they come up with those answers. You're crushing it. So we actually have this big kind of whole workbook. It's called The Path. And I meet with guys like once a week, we'll go through it. And I do a lot of this with our players as well. Because just like when you introduce me, it's our job, guys like you and I, it's our job to make people better. And if we can make people better, then we could increase results or increase performance. So I start with the person first, their heart, their mind, their soul, the holistic approach. So we have this whole book called The Path. And it goes through different topics where you got to really look within, answer questions, be able to put a pen to paper. I don't let guys type it out. You actually got to go to FedEx and print it and literally write the things down. And so I'm going to share five quick things with you, if you don't mind. Like, yeah, how do go. you find that level of self-belief, that level of clarity, knowing who you are and who you are not? One, you already know the first three and you crush this stuff on Twitter. It's so good. But your mission, why you're doing something, your vision, what it's supposed to look like when it's getting done. And then your values or your standards, whatever word, those things you believe in that like you're not going to waver on no matter what. They get you going, they keep you going, and, and they're always going to be there. But so many, as you know, whether it's a business leader, a player, why are they doing something? What does it look like, the vision? What does it look like when they're doing it? And then, man, what are those core values, those core beliefs, those core standards you have that you could rest on when things are really, really bad or when things are really, really good? So we're going to do those three. And like I said, you're very familiar with those three. Here's the two that are really, really good. And a lot of players and coaches struggle with this. And I struggle with this myself. And I still have to revisit this probably every, once every eight, nine, 10 months. So just like we want to know who we are and who are not, what tells us that? Two sheets of paper. Great activity. One sheet, you write the truth you know. On the other sheet, you write the lies you believe. Yeah. And you would be shocked how many people struggle writing those things out because you just said it a second ago, taking value in the role we bring, being proud of ourselves for who we are and what we do. But man, so many times we're living in a world right now of comparison and distraction because of social media. So we are filled with lies. And sometimes that takes away from us knowing the truth about ourselves. So mission, vision, values are the first three. Then the next two sheets we're going to work on, man, the truth we know and the lies we believe, because there's no way to dispel those lies if you don't write them out and see them. 
And in turn, I believe there's no way to build off of those truths unless you write them out and see them. So after working through those five things, which you could probably tell goes into a deeper level and a lot of writing and a lot of defining and a lot of clarity, you're going to really start to know who you are and who you're not, or at least who you want to be and who you don't want to be. This is incredible, Phil. You're doing incredible work. I love that I was able to talk about coaching fifth grade basketball with the great (laughs) Phil Begner. That was a lot of fun as well. But if you're not following Phil already, where should they be staying in touch with you? Yeah, a couple different accounts. My personal Twitter account is at Phil Beckner. And then we also have a Be Better, Be Different, which definitely goes on high-performance consulting and speaking. We have a Be Better, Be Different Twitter and a Be Better, Be Different Instagram as well. Highly recommend following them all. Incredible content coming all the way. Phil, I appreciate you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the show. Don't miss another episode of Leaders Lens and the inside scoop on becoming a great leader. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love Leaders Lens, please tell a friend.